Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That's Enough Already. Now this week I get to talk to Ben Lee who I met in person on the set of The Mastering Australia. He was the professor. Very good. Very, very good. Of course you know his music. He's been around since he was 14 years old and he's got a brand new album out and his brand new single is called Born for This Bullshit. Honestly, as soon as I heard the name, I'm like, that speaks right into the heart of, of everyone who's been in lockdown, who has experienced this pandemic. So basically, I'm talking to anyone who hasn't been in a coma for the last two years. Uh, and this week, we're going to discuss the things that shit him to death. And also, fun fact, my tour in New Zealand for It's Personal has been postponed. Go check out my website. You can hold on to your tickets. Um, it'll be valid for the new dates. I'll see you early next year. But for now, enjoy the potty. Just shut your mouth, I don't give a stuff Zip it, shush, please uh, 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 Yes, I can hear Calm down, mate. But I don't care, that's enough already Shut up, oh shush How are you, mate? I'm doing good, I'm actually doing pretty well I'm following on TikTok Yeah But fuck man, I just love your interactions with people so much And just your responses to stuff or uh. your. Um, but even on, on Instagram, the photo of you and your on, and your missus in your socks and, and bed. Yeah, we just did that. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, it's so much is about, I think, staying really positive and keeping like a good vibe out there for people as far as yeah. messaging. Because it's like everything is really fear-based in terms of how, you know, whatever, in terms of like vaccination and all that. It's just making it all fun, I think, is part of the key. Fear even just to get involved, you know, weighing in. Yeah. You know, when Guy did the backflip, I'm like, that is 100%, not even an opinion on on the vaccinations or on the, that is literally just, I got heaps of shit from people. I know, I know. And this is my reaction to that. That yeah. It's all fear-based. It's not, you know, and I mean, because then you take, like your approach to it and the same with Tim Minchin, um, his approach to it too is he just goes, unpacks everyone. And I'm like, it's exhausting because I, I confront it too. I'm like, you know, because I had exactly the same clip going, let's just get back to performing. Because even if we can perform again, people don't realise we're dealing with like a 40% capacity, 50% capacity. It's yeah. financially not viable. Totally. To bother, you know. Totally. But yeah. it's even beyond finances at this point. It's like, I just want to get back to it. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I also feel for him in the sense yeah. that, like, I watched Taylor Swift go through her politicization and yeah. saw what a process it was for a mainstream figure to yeah. say things that were potentially divisive. And and what I what I meant by that tweet when I was like, I wasn't trying to go after Guy. I was just saying, oh, it's like live by the sword, die by the sword. If your yeah. career is based on trying to be the one that everyone likes when you bump up against a big issue like this, you yeah. aren't given the freedom to actually take a stand because yeah. you do risk cutting off, you know, your lifeline a little bit. So so I do see that, like, it's very complicated to negotiate your place in culture with oh, yeah. your risk tolerance. Yeah. You know, yeah, know. look, I mean, uh, and this is what I always try to explain to you, you literally have... You will always be wrong, regardless what your approach, even if it's with the best intentions or with, a, with something like, I love sport, right? I love cricket. So I used to go to a lot of cricket games. I'd, I'd go watch a series. I'd sit there for five days in the sunshine, you know, like I love it. But it got to a point where I realized I can't do that because I'm sitting at a rugby, uh, at, a, at a cricket game, rugby the same. I've also pulled the pin on that. 
I said at a cricket game, people are drinking and then you start hearing, you know, sort of people try and bite you, basically. Right. Like, yeah. oh, fucking hate comedy. You're like, okay, don't yeah. respond. Oh, those are the most fun people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, and, and, or they go, uh, people start throwing shit, like literally throwing food at me or throwing, and I'm just trying not to respond. But then especially when you're there with mates or with someone in your group will turn around and go, hey, chill the fuck out. So this happened at a cricket game. My niece turned around. Uh, it was during the World Cup. She said to the group behind us, real calm, go, hey, can you just chill with the swearing because we had the kids with us. So I was sort of getting, because I, I, I won't get involved, but then I get to a point where I'm like, okay, fuck that. Then I go overboard, <laughs> you know. So she said, just calm down. And the guy just really knuckled down and go, why don't you shut the fuck up? And I go, hey, she asked you nicely. Just chill. We've got the kids here, mate. Let's just enjoy the cricket. And then he just went, I fucking hate your comedy. I fucking. And then I was like, you need to calm the fuck down. So she found security because she worked for the stadium at that point. She found them and she said, come and get this guy. They went and removed him. That's it. We didn't have any other words. Immediately my phone started. <laughs> Twitter. Ursula Carlson going, oh, shit, at the cricket with some fan just giving him her, her his opinion. And I'm like, he was abusive. He was out of line. No one interacted with him. Uh, we had the kids there. None of that gets comes into play. Just I had a guy removed from the stadium for irritating me, which 100% was not the issue. But then I realized that day there's no winning. Even if you're right, you'll you will still be wrong. Just absolutely. You know. I also think it's like that's that that story kind of indicates illustrates why you know if you have a long career, you go through various times of being more famous and less famous yeah. and all that. And truly, being like just famous enough is the sweet yeah. spot. You know, like yeah. you want to be able to like make the things you want to make, get the meetings you want to be able to have have people listen to your ideas, but not be bothered in the street. <laughs> like yes. those periods where things get really mega are like, yeah. you know, it's a mixed blessing. It's like they, I, I always think when I meet young artists that, that understand just hitting that sweet spot where they protect yeah. their anonymity, I'm like, you've got it, man. That's the dream. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> yeah. are in the, in, the, in the middle of the wave. The water's not touching you. Yeah. Just ride it out, baby. Ride it out. <laughs> So, yeah, I feel for Guy too. Yeah. When I saw that video, I'm like, I know exactly what went through his head when the backlash started. I know. Like, of course, mine isn't nearly where his is. You know, I get maybe five or six shitty comments on mine, and of those five or six, they'll have two friends backing them up. But it's totally controllable, whereas his would have been a, a swell, uh, yeah, unnecessary, really. Yeah, it's also really like I think for some people it's hard to see how – like I think for him, understanding the subtleties of why his um, justifications, that he's, he's clarified that a few times now, why it hasn't fully landed for people. And yeah. it's that we live in a landscape where people are constantly like nodding and winking at the far right. Yeah. And it's incredible, you know, they call it dog whistling. It's incredibly important that we make ourselves crystal clear because we might not be dog whistling to the far right. And we want to be damn sure it doesn't come across like we are. And I was just saying, I said to him, I was like, look, man, I know you're not an ad, you're double vaxxed. Like you, you yeah, got jabs. Exactly. The key here is not giving the impression that this is being confused as a personal choice issue rather than a community health initiative issue. Like yeah. with, with seatbelts, we don't say it's your personal choice. We yeah. say wear a seatbelt. 
<laughs> it's safer. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think once you bring in the personal choice thing, it turns it into a conversation that it doesn't need to be. And it's one that that side really want to turn it into really fast, yes. you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's their start, starting point. It yeah. should only be a conversation with no. Yeah. This is, you, you want to bring a chat show to, a, you know, to an action game. Yeah. Like if you ever, if someone dies yeah. in your house, there are rules about what to do with the body for public health and safety. Yeah. You're not allowed to go, oh, you know, we decided not to bury him. We're just going to keep him. You can't do yeah. it. It's like we don't no. have total sovereignty with these decisions when they affect health and safety of our community. It's, yeah. and I think we can, I don't know, I'm okay with that. I don't see that as like big brother imposing itself on me. I see no. it as like, we're trying to make decisions that as a collective are going to help look after each other. Yeah, and, and we need to sort of move in in a direction. You know, we can't just, oh, we're all just going to fucking do whatever. Because you literally then wouldn't be just at, on a basic human level. If you go, we're going to, we decided it was our decision as a family to bury grandma in the backyard and two years later you sell your house. Now I can't build the extension that I want because grandma's leg is in the way. I, I like that they're really turning it into, that's like a very first world problem, like that we're having remodel <laughs> issues. Yeah, because grandma's in the backyard, honestly. <laughs> I love when people go, you just, you're just a pawn or, or where they go, you're being paid by the government. Yeah. Like, okay, mate, okay. Yeah. Um, but you're just a pawn in this and they're controlling you. I go, yeah, this is bullshit, you know, like oh, I'm not going to pay any tax, I'm not going to register my car, I'm not going to get a car license, I'm not going to wear my there's so many things that if you're going from control, they're already controlling you then in that aspect. But not even just the control. What about the good things that are provided us through like taxpaying like roads that work and running yeah. water and public schools? It's like, okay, go live off the grid, homeschool your kid, take control of your food production. You can do that. That is an option yeah. for you. Personally, I find if I put all of my energy into controlling the means of my food production and cutting through the bush with a machete, making my own <laughs> roads. I wouldn't have any time to make music. I like yeah. that we live in a community that provides for our basic needs and I'm actually yeah. okay making some sacrifices for that yeah. in return. <laughs> yeah, I'm into it in a yeah. big way. <laughs> yeah. In a big way, mate. <laughs> build the university, build the hospital. Yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah, totally. This is why I'm paying the tax and <laughs> control it. Why? Actually, I'd love a microchip. I'd love to just walk in and out of a shop. You just take stuff and it sort of weighs you as you go out and go, oh, she took a loaf of bread, two litres of milk and the potatoes. You know, <laughs> I'd love it. I'd love it. Never look for your car keys again because now you're magnetised. You're just flopping that on your forehead. Um, all right. So let's get you. So you started performing real early on, right? Like yeah. as a teenager. My question is this. Did that freak your parents out? Like what is your backup plan? Because that is a big thing for my family. Like when I started performing, they go, what, what will you do if it doesn't work out? What's your backup plan? Well, the thing about being 14, like I was still in school, so yeah. I wasn't going like all in. Uh, I was just had a band and we played gigs on weekends and there was, I, I, I didn't yet have to justify it. That came a little later, you know, once you yeah. get to like 18, 19, 20, you got to like be like, okay, let me give you the sense of how this is going to work or not work. But but when I was younger, it was to me, it was life or death. But I think to yeah. everyone else, it was just this weird, endearing sort of like adventure that I was on and meeting all these interesting people. And and it was a bit like, you know how it is. It's like strike while the iron's hot. Like I got a little yeah. good deal. And the the odds are when you get an opportunity like that, that it's going to be short-lived and it'll be a little episode that you can 
reminisce about and tell your grandkids. I, I never really envisioned that. I mean, I, I guess I did, but I never yeah. really expected anyone else to envision that it was the start of what's now like a, almost a 30-year career. It's, yeah. It just seemed like I wanted to have a band, which is pretty normal, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you've had 11 solo albums, right? Am I right in that? Give or take. I don't, I don't really count. Yeah. That, so yeah. But I, I always think like, I wonder when when I talk to musicians, like, do you love all of your albums, you know, like when you look back? Because when I write a comedy show or whatever and I look back at them over the years and I think I wish I could go back and go re-tour one or re-tour tour and redo some of the jokes, rewrite them, which I can, whereas the music is sort of locked in. Like you've got the joy of re, re-singing your songs and people want you to re-sing your songs. They sort of request it. They scream it out at concerts. Whereas as a comic, if you redo your joke, they go, heard it. Yeah. But yeah. we have the luxury of changing some of the shit up. So yeah. have you ever written something where you go, fuck, I wish I could go back and go change some of that? I mean, plenty. It's like, you know, I don't know how you feel, but I feel on the whole the experience of looking back at past work is just mortifying in general, like whether you like <laughs> it or don't like it, because it's so vulnerable and it's built on yeah. what you thought you knew and didn't know and, you know, you, you're expressing where you're at at the time. That being said, everything I listen to, I can have empathy for where I was when I made it. And I don't know, I come more from the school of thought that like like Bob Dylan, he always viewed his albums as like, you capture that moment, but the song has a long life that can take many forms. And if you go see him, you might not even recognize the performance of a song from 40 years ago because yeah. he's making it new for him now. But but in general, I find the stuff I'm most proud of is, God, I don't even know. I, I mean, in a sense, if I were able to articulate this thought perfectly, I would have cracked the code of my own career. Um, because it's not all just stuff that was successful. Like yeah. I am generally proud of things that were hits because they've made people happy and they're fun to play live. And I feel like I captured a moment and there's a reason it caught on, but it's more than that. Cause there's some stuff that's pretty obscure that I like, um, that I've made. I guess I'm still trying to figure out what is it? I mean, generally if there's a sense of cheekiness in it, the mix of like romance and earnestness and cheekiness. If I yeah. hit that balance, that's like my sweet spot. And I feel pretty yeah. proud of things like that over the years, more than things yeah, yeah. that were like dripping in earnestness or yeah. or cynically, you know, if they were like too far to the like goofy side. If you get to a point where you're like, I'm nailing this of, you know, this is it. This is, and you can 100% sum up or 100% sort of nail it down. I think it's time to retire. It's like if you... Look at yourself like uh, I'm proud of the stuff that I've achieved, but I never look at it and go, I'm here, I've made it or I've, you know, because who has? But I think once you sort of have that talk with yourself, even if it's internal, you're like, I've, I've, this is it, this is, it's time to hang up the mic. But you know what's weird? Like like I see people that um, have built much better business models with their career than I have yeah. because they – identified their brand earlier and more cohesively and stuck to it. And yeah. whether or not it was totally authentic, their audience would go knowing what to expect. Like I feel like my audience, it's become over the years, like almost my unpredictability as an artist is part of what they like. So I've had to mm. fold that into 
what their expectations are. But I've at yeah. times been jealous of people that have been like, you know, like ACDC, that are just yeah. like, we're ACDC. We even got a new singer and we're still ACDC. Because like <laughs> yeah. what we do is so just, it's cohesive and it's like decided. And so yeah. at times I've felt that like my career has um, slowed down its growth by me constantly chasing new dreams and mirages. You know, yeah. I like get really inspired and I want to take these journeys, but sometimes they're like, they take me off the path like so far that I can barely find my way back, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but artistically I think that's a lot more um, satisfying and, you know, sort of fe you're feeding your soul. You, you, I, I guess you have to choose and between feeding your soul or feeding the bank balance because I said to someone the other day, um, you know, we are talking about would I do a certain show, would I do, you know, these ads or, and I said, not for me personally, that's not my, my vibe. I, I don't do ads and I don't do, you know, I wouldn't go in the bush and eat, you know, <laughs> goat balls. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not my thing. I said, but if that's your thing, that's cool. But to me, I'd rather go do a little fringe festival, you know, in Toronto or, you know, and not make a lot of money, but write another show while I'm there because you're just in this little bubble, you know. It's also that weird thing of like sometimes the phone's ringing, sometimes it isn't. Like I remember seeing yeah. Dennis Hopper interviewed, you know, in his last few years of his life and someone said, how do you decide which roles to take? And he said, the roles I'm offered. Like wow. it was pretty simple. Like even at such a like, like in the last chapters of like such an esteemed career, he still yeah. saw himself as essentially a song and dance man that showed, yeah. I picked the best, here's the pile of scripts. This is what you're being offered. Pick the best one <laughs> and you do. Yeah. So there's a bit of a blue collar attitude to it too, I think, you know. Yeah, but I think it's because, um, and someone summed it up nicely this week where they go, you have to remember when you were playing in sticky floor bars and you have to remember sleeping on couches. If you, doesn't matter how high up you go, in your industry, if you know, as a performer, if you can't have a moment, and I think it's always like that just before you walk on stage, like I'm always surprised if I play a, um, you know, a proper theatre and if I walk out and I'm like, there's thousands of people, how did you hear about me? How did you, you know, I'm always surprised when they're there and I still think of like, you know, the 40-seater in Edinburgh or the, you know, and you have to, like, and I, to me, they're all the same. Well, I'm always surprised and delighted that they're there. Look, I'd even go further and say that like putting them on a hierarchy of bigger is better is almost like anti creativity in that I know some of my, like, for instance, you know, we've spent a lot of time in LA and have you ever played Largo or been to Largo? Have you ever been no. there? It's like, it's this little theater. Um, it's been there for years. I first played it in 90, oh, 96. Um, but it's like Elliot Smith, Fiona Apple, Sarah Silverman, Pat Oswalt. Like it's a mix wow, of yeah. music and comedy. It's always been yeah. like that. And we will go do things and I'll go play three songs at like Pete Holmes's night. And, you know, then there's like bluegrass music and whatever. But yeah. those have been some of my favorite performance and creative experiences. And there's never more than 200 people in the room. Yeah. But they're people, they're the right 200 people that love yeah. what's happening. And I've always been incredibly like, I mean, you can call it elitist, but I yeah. am much more interested in the quality of my audience than the size of it. Like, yeah, that's why I like 
always like collaborating with other artists because in a way, all I ever wanted to do was make music that people in other bands liked. And my favorite (laughs) thing is when you're playing with another band and you both watch each other and you both like each other and you're like, man, good on you. Like you feel it, you know? And it's like that sense of community is, so, you know, we would, we've been before the lockdown, we were like, we tried to recreate that vibe a little bit at Giant Dwarf. We were doing these nights, me and my wife called Weirder Together, where we'd have comedians and music. And and you just saw how, because there isn't much of that in Sydney, it was like a revelation to people. Like, you know, just realizing that like, oh, the nourishment, our nourishment of ourselves, forget the audience, as performers and artists, the way we nourish ourselves by performing for each other. You know, I love that. But that's like, the audience, I think, love that too, because it's almost like, Watching the director's cut live, you know, when they're sitting there, it's like doing a Q&A. Last night we did this ridiculously, in my opinion, too long a Q&A after Taskmaster. But the people watching it and the people commenting on it, you go, we were just chatting. Like we were just, you know, because we had bonded, we had this, you know, so we're talking. And then people are just sort of sitting on the sidelines and I almost at halfway through, I'm like, are we being selfish? We're not even addressing these people just sitting on the sidelines in their homes watching us. We don't even know them. We don't, there's no interaction. But I think because now we're in lockdown, I, we're closer to them. I can see their names on the Zoom comments and, you know, but we're, we're not addressing it. And then this morning someone wrote a thing going, it was the highlight just of the whole lockdown, just sitting there watching five friends talk shit That's so for cool. three hours. I love comedy and I have lots of friends who are comedians and do stuff with them. But I always think that comedy and music, they've got different strengths. One yeah. of the strengths in terms of music is if the audience isn't vibing, we can get lost in the music that we're playing. Like yeah. we can generally, we can play for an empty room and make beautiful music and yeah. that can be reward enough. As a comedian, you can't ever really fully tune the audience out. No. Like you, they, no. it's part of the art, right? It, it is. Yeah, the, yeah it, it's like we are nothing without them. Right. So that makes it much We are the tree complex. in the forest. Yeah. Yeah. And there is no noise when no one's around. So I, but I think, and that's the, um, you know, with my musician friends, I'm like, you poor bastards. If things aren't going well, you know, you can't then reach into the audience. Like I feel like I can put my hand into the audience and go, come here. Let me fix this. I can make it better. I can change direction. I can go mid-joke, stop, and go, you blue shirt and and you know sort of touch them directly yes whereas i feel like with songs you're sort of locked into that song it's true yeah um, yeah it's it's, it's really i think there's a reason why musicians and comedians have a unique connection because yeah. i think we both we have very similar crafts but we also can learn from each other um yeah. and it's in a brilliant and that's really so much of what, like, I learned from Largo, just the inter, the interdependence of the worlds of music and comedy yeah. are so beautiful. My connection now to comics too is the younger comics that I feel a deeper connection with, the, yeah. the hustlers, the ones that's like they've got that hunger and they're always like, what else, what else, what else? Totally. You know, always, and also, like, yeah. I, I, I imagine it's the same in comedy and music, the culture that has come with kids that have grown up with streaming music, it's way less tribal. So like 
it used to be the music that you liked totally defined you and the way you dressed and which friends you had and all that. Cause it was like hard to get music. And it was like, it was just a huge tribal signifier. Whereas now yeah. younger artists, they listen to everything. They love all kinds of stuff. They're very open-minded and that yeah. I, I connect with cause I've always been like that. That's amazing. So, uh- Tell me about your new album. What is that about? Yeah, what so, is that? So the album's called I'm Fun. Um, the first single yeah. is called Born for This Bullshit. Um, the yeah. album's like, it's like, um, it began as when I was turning 40, I felt yeah. like I'd achieved a lot of what I had set out to achieve. And yeah. I realized I needed like new goalposts. And so one night I actually got on Twitter and I said, who are your favorite artists who made their best work after 40? And I got back an incredible list of like responses and I made a playlist and I listened to it for a few weeks and I was going, wow, great idea. what did like Tom Waits and Willie Nelson and PJ Harvey and Run the Jewels and, you know, what did all these artists have in common? Because there are lots of artists who did it. And I went, oh, well, firstly, they're mostly all in my wheelhouse in the sense that they're storytellers. They're not people marketing sex and partying. You know what I mean? They're like, they're all storytellers. And they also all wore their their wounds like medals, right? So so the things that have gone wrong in their life actually became assets to them as opposed to hindrances. And so I started formulating in my mind this next body of work being one that was incredibly honest and self-effacing about who I am and what I've been through and what I've, so, you know, on the record, I've got this song called Asshole. And, um, <laughs> and it's like, when I was younger, I was an asshole. I wanted to be, and I was, um, uh, fighting with strangers, something like destroying everything I could just because, and it's, it, it's, it's a very like, um, transparent admission of certain periods of my life where I don't feel I was like in total integrity, but also a celebration of it because that's what growing up is, you know? So anyway, this whole, you know, this whole group of songs, as I wrote them, I also just realized, wow, they're like, they're edgy and they're like, they're fun. Like, it's like I've made a record about becoming an older weirdo and (laughs) celebrating it. You know? Yeah. I, I literally just said before, I had to go get fruit and veg. And my mum, who's trapped with me in lockdown, she came up to visit after I got back from Australia from The Masked Singer. And she's now here trapped in Auckland. And as I left, she yelled, watch out for weirdos. And I just <laughs> yelled out of the window going, mum, I am a weirdo. Exactly. Let me ask you, so you are on The Masked Singer. Would you have done The Masked Singer in your 20s or 30s? Well, I'm trying to think when sort of like, competition game shows and all that sort of music stuff started because I don't think it existed. Like how long has all that been going on? Like I yeah, don't but, but I mean if and... it was, if if this was presented to you as a 22 year old, yeah. Go and pop this on, would you have done it? I might have because I was on Hey Hey at Saturday. Oh yeah. <laughs> like I've always like I've always been interested in subverting mainstream culture. It's yeah. probably to do with how I grew up and and sort of like um it's like I was between worlds. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause we were like middle-class family who's like, my parents, like they got it done. They paid the bills, but it was like paycheck to paycheck. You know yeah. what I mean? There was no investments going on. It was like, <laughs> and, but in a way it gave me access to different worlds. And that's something I've always been interested in. 
And so I've always kind of prided myself on like, I can go uptown, I can go downtown and putting myself in the eye of the storm. It's funny when Mars Singer came up, the first person I talked to was Margaret Cho because she'd done it in the US. And I was like, what do you reckon? And she said, you've got to do it. It's like a Zen meditation practice. It's a complete surrender. She's like, she's just do it. She said, you'll, you'll actually have an incredible experience. And it was an incredible experience. So they they contact you and then how long before, because we know nothing yeah. about the masks. So then how long before do you have to go and start rehearsing, I guess? Do you pick your own songs? Yeah. What do you do? Well, my original, um, so actually I was going to do it the year before. Um, oh, wow. But then as the pandemic was just starting, I was going to come out and do it by myself and leave my family in yeah. LA. I was like, there's a chance we could get separated. Like yeah. this was like as things were just starting to shut down. I said, this isn't worth the risk. Yeah. And I said, keep me in mind for next year. And then when I was coming yeah. back, I, I did it. But one of my provisions was was I was like, I have to have approval over the song and the arrangements because um, yeah. I don't want to do anything like so uncool, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah. But then it was really weird with the costume because literally as I was making my album, one of the words I was using to describe the archetype of that guy on the album cover with the cowboy yes. hat in the boom was Mad Professor. I yeah, was like, I was amazing. like, that's sort of who I am. And then when they said, look, this is the costume we want to do, I was like, that is me. Yeah. It was a really fascinating thing to do. You know what? A part of me, like, and we actually talked after your mask came off. All the others, you know, because they've known you for years, you know, sort of followed your career and which I was new to the Ben Lee train. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm, uh, I, I was immediately on Spotify and, you know, just going. And then they go, they couldn't think of anyone else to put in that mask <laughs> but you. Do you want to do something really weird? This is like, this is maybe too weird. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, obviously if you're in the entertainment industry, um, you cross paths with people lots and lots of times. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie O, I've always had a very a little bit of a vibe with her. I'm not saying like anything, like, yeah. but it was just like we've always had a bit of a flirty. You know, we'd meet for five minutes and yeah. do an interview at the radio, but it's always had a little bit of a flirty dynamic to it. And it was so yeah. funny to watch that resurface completely in disguise because yeah. what it shows you is that people's energy kind yeah. of does come out of them in a way that like is way beyond what they look like. It's yeah. like why we feel like, oh, I like that person or just I'm interested in them or I'm attracted to them or whatever. There's something way bigger than physicality that's doing that. It's yeah. bizarre. 100% because I had the same, I had a connection with two of the masks yeah. and I, once the heads came off, I'm like, fuck, that's why, yes. you know, like I, I, I couldn't explain it on the show. Like, you know, there was nothing, and because I'm terrible at guessing, I'm, <laughs> honestly, I'm awful at guessing. It's just weird. It's like you say, it must be like, um, you know, electricity in the air or something that just kind of connects people and you kind of, your soul knows. So bizarre. It's so bizarre. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. So what shits you to absolute death about other people? The inability to apologize and admit you've made a mistake. Like it's something that took me years. Like my wife really helped me with that. And now it like really irritates me in other people when I say it. Um, like, Like I see it with politicians all the time. Like I think leaders would be much more respectable if they were capable of going like, 
if Scott Morrison came out and go, I flubbed the vaccine rollout. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. People would back him. He'd just be like, he'd be like, look, I'm asking you for your forgiveness. I think we can get it on track. Um, yeah. But with your, I'd need your support for it. So, you yeah. know, I, I would find that a much more, but the need to constantly defend yourself is like, yeah. I think my family were very defensive. Like they were real debaters. Um, yeah. And no one could ever admit they were making a mistake or made a mistake or was wrong. So it just like that really, yeah, I find that hard. Yeah. Yeah. That gets on my tits too. I've had to say to people, you don't need to defend yourself. No one's attacking you. Totally. We're just kind of wondering what the fuck is going on. Yeah. A simple apology would fix. And it's like road rage. You know, if someone cuts you off or whatever, immediately you're like, fuck. And then when you pull up next to them and they put their hand up and they're like, sorry, you know, you've had that. As soon as they put their hand up and they go, sorry, you're like, don't worry about it. We all make mistakes. But if they flip you the bird, it aggravates. It just makes it worse. You're like, you were wrong. Totally, totally. Bastards. Yeah. What about yourself, Shitsu, that you wish you could change about yourself? I mean, I think I I am like the because I'm a pretty good like leader like I can lead a team to getting a project done you know and I think I can I'm a good leader in a group I think the downside of that is I sometimes have a hard time incorporating other people's needs or um, opinions like I I definitely still want to work on like you know just genuinely listening and genuinely like incorporating where other people are at into what I'm doing because I can be a bit of a bulldozer. Like I'm like, let's get it done. And it can be a bit unforgiving in that sense. So I'm not that fond of that side of myself, but I can see how it's the flip side of a positive, but I still want to tidy it up. Because that's kind of your drive, right? Yeah. That's how I broke my shoulder. I was the same. I'm like, I need to slow down. I need to think about stuff. I need to. And then my manager was the one to say, but that's also the thing that keeps you moving forward. Yeah. You know, so you need to tweak it, but not switch it off. Exactly. That's amazing. All right. Um, so when is this album out? We, so you released a single, Born for This Bullshit. That that needs to be on a T-shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really it's, – it's, <laughs> oh, my God, it's a great video too. Um, but, yeah, so the single's out now, Born for This Bullshit. Album will be out early 22. Okay, cool. I cannot wait for it. And I'll be able to find it on Spotify. Yeah, for sure. Always a company. Sure. My All those places. Yeah. You, will you release an LP? Yeah, we're doing vinyl. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. All right, I'm going to look that up. Hey, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for I having really me. I really appreciate it. I'll, I'm going to find You've you on TikTok absolute... and follow you back. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, I was still investigating. How come you got a tick? I was still looking for the tick. I did it through Warner, through my label. I almost wear it as a badge now yeah, that yeah, I yeah. don't have the tick. I quite like it. <laughs> oh, look at you and you've got 66,000 followers. I mean, geez, you should be verified. Yeah. No, but I like that. I like when people go, why don't you have the tick? And I'm like, I'm just a victim here. Yeah. Poor me. <laughs> <laughs> I have been amazing and I really enjoyed you on The Masked Singer right and I've, I've added so much of your songs to my Spotify uh, playlist. You are my my drive time favourite. Thank you. Thank you so much. See you soon. Enjoy your toast. Stay safe. Bye. That's enough already. Shut up. Oh, shush.